If you have, thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to go through verse 11. But first off, I want to tell everybody, or all the fathers here, Happy Father's Day. It's that uh, special day of the year, like Mother's Day. We just uh, don't spend as much money, right? No, no, I, I joke. Uh, I want to share this little story I, I found kind of amusing this week. There was once a mother who was very sleep deprived after giving birth to her first child. One night she was asleep and trying to get a few hours of rest in. And while the baby was sleeping in the nursery, the mother awoke and she went to go check on the baby and found her husband uh, standing there over the crib, just leaning on it, just staring down quietly, just in amazement at this child. So the mother stood there in the doorway for a few minutes and then overwhelmed with just what was going on. She walked up to her husband and she grabbed his hand and she said, honey, tell me what you're, tell me what you're feeling right now. And the husband looked back at her and he took a step back and he said, how can they put such a wonderful crib together for only $80? But now that's, that's, a, that's a dad for you. You know, we're always looking at the weird things in life. But you know, when I was a kid growing up, my dad and I didn't always get along. Uh, most of us can relate. My immaturity as a teenager, I always thought that I knew what was best. And even though my dad was a cop, he was a detective, uh, I tried to outsmart the old man. And uh, I'm sure some of us can relate to that. Mark Twain once said, when he was a boy of 14, he thought his father was so ignorant he could hardly be in the same room with him. But then after he turned 21, he was amazed at how much that old man had learned in seven years. But honestly, it's funny, the older we get, we, we start to understand and appreciate uh, the wisdom our fathers tried to instill on us when we're, even when we were young. And, and for that, we're, I'm thankful and uh, count that as a blessing. So again, this morning, uh, we're going to be reflecting on God's Word in Philippians, beginning in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 2 or follow on the screen behind us. Uh, and let's get into God's Word. Philippians 2, 1. Therefore, if there is any... If there is any uh, consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly and thankful for another day in your creation. We're thankful for having a place for us to gather together, safe from the elements, to just study your word, and, and more importantly, just glorify your name. Uh, I pray that hearts would be receptive, ears would be open, and, and your word would resonate through all this morning. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
So there's two principles we can take away from this passage. First, we cannot help to see the powerful doctrinal truth presented here. It gives us the remarkable insight to the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. It tells us His equality with God, but also of His coexistent humanity. How He is 100% God, but 100% man at the same time. It tells us His obedience to w- and the will of the Father and how He died on the cross, and as well as His ultimate exaltation. How every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Secondly, and just as important, is the contextual message here, which is extremely practical. We must see this, this section of Scripture in its context with the surrounding Scriptures. We must see it within the context of the book as a whole and the overall theme Paul is presenting to the church here in Philippi. Paul is writing to instruct them on how they are to live. This is the practicality of the message this morning. It's not primarily a text about the theology surrounding Jesus, but it's a passage from a letter to a church giving them Jesus as their example on how to live selflessly. Paul is saying that by following his or Jesus Christ's example, they can successfully live and navigate the Christian life. It sets forth Jesus, who was and is God, as the ultimate example. It is in Christ who we are to follow. In His actions, we are to emulate. This is the practical message of the text here this morning. Have this mindset, this attitude among yourselves, which was that in Christ. Verses 5-11 through 11 shows us how this is to be done by describing servitude from the example Jesus set. You cannot allow Christ to live in you and not be a servant. Only through servanthood can you be obedient to God's will in your life. And before we move forward this morning with the Scripture and what this has to say, we must understand the instruction that's given to us here in verse 5. So again, Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 5 sets the stage for verses 6 through 11. It sets the tone. It gives us insight and makes the life application clear here. The clear and unmistakable application is this. To have a mindset that Jesus had, to think what he thought, to have the same attitude towards servanthood that he had, to live selflessly. Verses 6 through 11 spell, spell this out very descriptive terms, not only what the attitude was, but how it was lived out in Jesus' life. So again, verses 6 through 11. As he already exited, existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember this attitude remains, attitudes, they're, they're abstract ideas until they are physically expressed. An attitude is unknown until it is exercised in its actions. Our attitudes always determine our actions because our actions always demonstrate our true attitudes 
or our conditions of the heart. Again, the first few verses tell us that we're to be servants, just as Jesus was a servant. Well, how was he a servant? Let's look at verses 6 through 8. As he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Now we ask ourselves, how can I have the same ministry Jesus had? I'm flawed. Now this is true, but we can have the same attitude towards ministry. We can have the same attitudes towards discipleship. Same attitude towards servanthood. And that attitude will be a motivating factor in our actions and how we submit to God's will. Here in verses 6-11, through 11, we find timeless principles that we can apply to our Christian lives. There are five things we, we can deduct from about being servants from the text presented here this morning. Five things we must understand and inject into our lives if we want to become servants such as Jesus. First point this morning. Being a servant doesn't mean giving up, uh, excuse me, being a servant means giving up my rights for others. Being a servant means giving up my rights for others. We look back at verses 6 and 7. As he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, he emptied himself, by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Christ always has been, always is, and always will be God. The truth of the, this is the truth and the foundation of our church. Peter testified to this in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that say the Son of Man is?" They replied, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets." But you, he asked them, Jesus, "Who do you say that I am?" Simon Peter answered. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus lives as 100% human and 100% God. He fought the temptations that, and the same struggles that we had because He was God in the flesh. Yet because of His divine nature, He was able to overcome them and live out His divine nature in the flesh. Paul is saying in the text this morning that because we have Jesus living in us, to those who have placed their faith and trust in His finished work, on the cross, we too, although living in the flesh, can demonstrate His divine nature. Allowing Jesus to live in us enables us to overcome these fleshly desires, to overcome the temptations of the world, to overcome the desire to live selfishly, or excuse me, self, selfishly rather than living selflessly. Paul wants to make it very clear that Jesus was and is God. Not just a prophet, not just a teacher, not just a healer. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. Now notice the next thing Paul says, that he, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. In other words, Jesus did not hold on to his rights as God. He was not looking out for himself, but for others. He surrendered his rights for you and for me. He gave up his privileges in order to, become, to come as a man and suffer death that we deserved. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from God the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Although Jesus had access to all the privileges and power to which His divinity entitled Him, and although He could have exploited that privilege and power to dominate His creation, Jesus considered His deity as an opportunity for service and obedience. Instead of using that limitless power to His advantage, He used it for others. For those who had nothing, He used it for us. All of the authority and power available to Him became a conduit of giving rather than a conduit for getting. His focus was not on being served, but upon serving others. Not upon exalting Himself, but emptying Himself in obedience. The contrast is clear and is pronounced between the value system of the world and the value system of Jesus. Today's economic worldview is that who has the most money or has the most things or has the nicest house, has the nicest car. Well, you know, in our sinful worldly view, that, that guy's well off. He's well to do. But in the economy of Jesus, it's the opposite. He who is the highest is he who does not live for himself, but for others. He who would be the greatest among you is he who is your servant. If we are ever to be servants, if we are ever going to adopt the same attitude as Christ, we're going to have to give up our rights, give up our selfish tendencies, and deference to others. Servanthood means giving up my desires for the benefits of others. Second point I want to make this morning, being a servant means becoming less so others can become more. Becoming less so others can become more. Let's look at verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Emptied himself. Literally poured himself out. Made himself nothing. He emptied himself of all significance. Now how did he do that, we ask? By taking the form of a slave. The very nature of a servant. Christ came as a servant. He gave Himself for others. He was God living out a human life in the flesh. Jesus came as a servant and He willingly left the splendor of heaven for the filth of a stable. He left the company of angels for the company of men. He who was omnipresent took upon Himself the limitations of humanity. What a dramatic distance Jesus traveled from heaven to the cross. From robes to rags. From being served to serving. From the songs of heaven's chorus to the cries of an angry mob. What a distance he traveled from heaven's throne to Bethlehem's manger. From being exalted to being executed. And why did he do it? He did it out of love. For that love for you and me. This is the heart of what it means to follow Christ. It means to lose our life to save it. It means to be emptied of ourselves in order to be able to be filled with Him. It's no wonder that many people find the health, wealth, and prosperity junk being taught today so attractive. Its false teachings are about getting instead of giving. Living your best life now. It's all about being served instead of serving. It's all about God obeying them instead of them obeying God. Our fallen nature is not interested in being emptied, but in being filled. We are more interested in becoming something or someone rather than becoming nothing or no one. It runs contrary to our fallen, sinful nature to become less so others can become more. And yet, if we're going to be like Jesus, we must become servants, allowing others to become more at our expense. 
Third point I want to make this morning is servanthood means being obedient whatever the cost. Servanthood means being obedient whatever the cost. Looking at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. It is impossible for us to grasp the depths depths of this statement to understand the intensity of what Paul is telling us here. He who made all men, who knows the hearts of all men, who has all authority over all men, humbled himself and allowed himself to be executed by men. But not just any execution, but by death on a cross. It was not simply a form of execution, it was the lowest form of execution. Death by the cross was reserved for the lowest class of people, for those who had no standing rights. That Jesus, God in the flesh, should die on a cross was indeed significant. In the time in which Paul shared the gospel with the Philippians, crucifixion was the lowest anyone could stoop socially. Crucifixion was the cruelest form of official execution in the Roman Empire. Crucifixion was not the conversation that you would merely have because the cruelty of the execution, the specifics of the process were not widely talked about. So let me paint this image. The victim was versed tortured in many unimaginable ways. And then once they survived through that, they were fastened to a cross by impaling, nailing, binding with ropes, or a combination of all three. Death often came slowly over a period of days as the victim experienced increased blood loss, thirst, hunger, attacks from wild animals, or even suffocation. That's how our Lord and Savior humbled Himself so that we may live. In this, we begin to understand the depths of the humility to which Jesus sunk for us in order to be obedient to the will of the Father. Jesus was obedient selflessly to even death on the cross. It is on the cross that the true nature of God is revealed. God is love. Jesus Christ came to Him to give Himself for us, to die for us, to die at our hands because that's what it took to redeem us, to buy us back from the condemnation we brought upon ourselves through sin, to pay a debt He didn't know, but a debt we could not pay. This is love. This is grace unmerited. His birth was miraculous. His life was extraordinary. But His death was the epicenter of our redemptive history as Christians. I pray every time you look at a cross, you see it as a token of His love and His heavenly grace. There is nothing He will ever ask of us that will cost us as much as going to the cross cost Him. We can never give up as much as He gave up. We can never humble ourselves as much as He humbled Himself. We must, however, be willing to do whatever He asks, whenever He asks, however He asks. Sadly, for some, they have already predetermined the things that God wants them to do. They have set the parameters on their service to God. We only serve in such and such place, or in such and such way. Or we will only serve on this day or that day. They have convinced themselves that God would never ask them to do anything outside of the box of what they've set forth. But in reality, they have simply decided that they are not going to listen to God when He asked them to go outside their little box. This is selective obedience, and that is not real obedience. Genuine discipleship involves being obedient to Christ, 
whatever the cost, whenever the call, or wherever and however. There are no part-time partial disciples. Give God your all. Fourth point I want to make this morning, servanthood will be rewarded. Again, servanthood will be rewarded. Look at verses 9-11. through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory and God of the Father. The principle here is this. God rewards the humble, obedient servant. Look at Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Not all of God's rewards are in this life. Some are for the life to come, looking ahead, living with heaven in mind rather than with our sinful worldly view and our desires in mind. Luke 14.11 For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because you th- they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Being a servant is more about being, or being a servant is more about being than it is doing. There is no genuine life in Christ that is not at the same time by the power of the Holy Spirit being transformed into the likeness of Christ. If Christ, being God in the flesh, humbled himself to become a servant, then how can we as his followers in any way exalt ourselves? If he died for others, how can we fail to live for others? Often, we tend to look at that for that one big experience where we can demonstrate our, our, our faithfulness to God, that, that one instance where we can demonstrate our servanthood by giving ourselves in some heroic fashion. That's not usually how it happens. It happens in the small everyday, somewhat uneventful occurrences in our lives. It's the little things, the humble things, not the self-righteous things. This attitude, this mindset of serving others instead of being served, of giving rather than getting or obeying rather than dominating, is lived out in the numerous social interactions we encounter every day. How do we, how we treat the checkout person at the grocery store, or how do we talk to the man collecting or picking up our garbage That's a reflection of our hearts and our attitudes. Are we sharing the gospel? Are we demonstrating a mind or attitude reflective of Christ? As I invite the band back up to close this morning's worship service, I, I, I leave with a few questions. Are you here to serve? Are you here to be served? Is your attitude like the world's? Or is your attitude like Christ's? Are you going through the motions of being served? Or are you becoming a servant? Living for Him or living for yourself? The example has been set and the call is clear. All that remains today is your response, your decision, your commitment. Will you humble yourself as Jesus did or not? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we just thank You for just giving us this time and opportunity to 
dive into Your Word. And Lord, it is my prayer that if there is anybody here, anybody here that does not know Your Son is Lord and Savior, that they will talk to someone, that they can be pointed towards the cross and have that same faith in His finished work and that redemptive glory that we're talking about. And Lord, I pray that as we go through our life that in our week and the people we encounter, that we can be good stewards of Your Word and disciple to lost souls and and, and just be a reflection of the redemptive glory and grace that's been given to us. And it's in this and many other things in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you all and have a blessed week.